This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Tom Hartman program, the David Pakman show, the Media Matters Minute, the Young Turks, the Rachel Maddow show, Citizen Radio, activism from the Unfuck It Up project, and the Majority Report. And a note that this episode contains nuance and suggests that you hold two ideas in your head at the same time. So brace yourself. The largest gun study ever says, as to quote Zach Bocamp over at Think Progress, more guns, more murder. I live just uh, a few blocks, literally. I mean, you know, we live in the in the in the public marina down here in Washington D.C. and and the the next big marina down or the next big place where boats tie up down down the river is the Navy Yard where a shooter with a history of mental illness killed 12 innocent people. Basically, a couple of good guys with guns, to, to quote Wayne Little Peter. Police officers and security guards, in this case, fired back. One was murdered, the other ended up in the hospital. Despite having sought psychiatric help a little over a month ago, which raises this whole other set of questions that, that we've talked about uh, in the past with a, a couple of different psychiatrists about whether people who are taking SSRI drugs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, antidepressant drugs, might be, we know that they're at a higher risk for suicide, or are they at a higher risk for suicide by cop using the route of mass murder? And we don't know yet if that's the case with this with this young man. But the shooter, 34-year-old Aaron Alexis, was somehow able to get enough firepower to commit one of the worst mass murders in recent memory. Wayne LaPierre of the NRA will soon, no doubt, come out from under his rock and once again defend the total and unrestricted use of firearms. But, you know, that shtick is getting old. More and more Americans are realizing, and, you know, just kind of explicitly, it used to be kind of just a gut feeling or annoying, but now, you know, just, yeah, I get it. It's time to stop listening to his clown show. And and they're figuring it out. The the LaPierre is just I mean, you know, he's paid two million dollars a year to protect the profits of a multi billion dollar a year weapons of death industry. It's that simple. The gun manufacturing lobby and its front group, the NRA, go on and on and on about how the Second Amendment, which by the way, in the North was designed to prevent a standing army during times of peace and in the South was designed to protect the slave patrols, should give every American the right to own everything from a thirty-eight revolver to an AR-15 assault rifle. But lost among all this talk about rights and liberties are the rights and liberties of the rest of us, the majority of Americans. We just want to live our lives safely and without the fear of gun violence. The, the, and without the gun, fear of gun violence... Outside our homes or even inside our homes, by accident, by visitor, by little kid, by whatever. I mean, you got about twice as many suicides as homicides by gun every every year in the United States. You've got every day some kid kills some other kid or kills himself by accident. I've used guns since I was a kid. They have their place in society. I'm not anti-gun. One of my one of my brothers, my the, the one who's closest to me in age, uh, one of my brothers is an avid target shooter and owns several guns. 
And when I go back to Michigan, one of the things I really love to do is share time with my brother Steve and my nephew shooting targets in the range he has in his rural backyard. But my brother, like 90% of Americans, supports the assault weapons ban and the universal background checks, and for good reason. It's utterly and absolutely insane that weapons of war should be in the hands of crazed civilians in a developed nation like the United States. I mean, it's just that simple. Other countries with gun cultures just as ingrained as ours have figured this out. That's why after a brutal gun massacre in 1996, a mass murder by guns, Australia said, enough, and they banned semi-automatic and automatic weapons altogether. And that ban was successful. Australia had 13 gun massacres in the 18 years before the 1996 gun reforms. That was 1996. This is 2013. Was that 16 years? I can't do math in my head that fast. Seems like it. They have not suffered any mass shootings since. That's right. Australia banned the most dangerous kinds of guns, weapons of war. And that country is safer now. Australia also, by the way, has universal background checks for all gun purchases. We, the United States, have instead, at the behest of the multi-billion dollar weapons industry, chosen to go the other route. The route of Somalia and South Sudan. Just this past weekend, two guys were arrested after waltzing into a farmer's market in Wisconsin with high-powered semi-automatic rifles strapped across their backs. They're now thinking of suing the cops who stopped them, right? Like, the people there were like, what? You know, I'm frightened. I don't want to, I don't want, yeah, and they call the police. The police come and say, hey, you know, you're scaring the people. Why don't you just go home? We're going to sue you. we got a right to walk around and scare the hell out of people. Where else would that happen except right here in the U.S. or in a war zone like South Sudan? I mean, I can understand it, right, in South Sudan. I was actually in South Sudan recently, a country that's been embroiled in civil war for a generation. And I suppose you can build a case for publicly carrying semi-automatic weapons in a country like that. I mean, after all, they got rebel groups that still periodically shoot up villages. But this is America, not South Sudan. We live in a developed country, not a war zone. And there's absolutely no reason to own an AR-15 or any other killing machine, even less of a reason to strap it on your back and strut around in public. I mean, the basic fact is that more guns, especially the more powerful guns, means more murders. A new study from the American Journal of Public Health looked at gun deaths in all 50 states between 1981 and 2010 and found that when you factor in all the other mitigating factors like race and poverty, it just came down to this. States with higher rates of gun ownership had disproportionately large numbers of deaths from firearm-related homicides. That's a verbatim quote from the study. Janice Orlowski, the trauma surgeon who treated some of the victims of the Navy Yard shooting, said that there's an evil in our society. Do we have time to play that? We don't. Okay, we'll play it when we come back. She's right. There is an evil in our society. And that evil is in the gun industry and its lobbying arm, the NRA, that continues to push for looser gun laws in the face of mounting evidence that lack, lacks firearm regulations and easy access to gun contributes to the death of thousands of innocent people every year. Because one day I'll leave you a phantom to lead you in the summer to join the black. 
Okay, what what do you think is the best thing of the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to to somebody who listens or watches? Because we cover everything and we do it well. <laughs> Why do you think people watch the show? I think that it's a completely different angle. I don't think it's about being expansive or up to date. I think it's 99% of media that's out there is giving one story, it's giving a particular point of view, and it's also not covering certain stories. So I don't know that it's about being up-to-date or expansive. I think it's, it's a well, non... Well, that's what I said. We cover everything. Well, we don't cover everything, Lewis. How can we cover everything? We cover eight to ten stories. Everything important, pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Now, Ed Schultz is choosing to put the focus somewhere else. Ed Schultz did a segment yesterday where he held up uh, Grand Theft Auto V, the recently released video game, Grand Theft Auto V, and Ed Schultz actually blamed Grand Theft Auto as well as special interest groups for the mass shootings. Uh, Raw Story has a report about this, and it says that MSNBC host Ed Schultz expressed sympathy with gun owners on Tuesday while lashing out at special interest groups and the makers of the video game Grand Theft Auto V, Rockstar Games, accusing them of helping to foment a political atmosphere that stifles discussion on stricter gun safety laws. I have to tell you, Lewis, I am open to exploring absolutely anything that might be considered a aggravating factor in creating shootings. However, we've had conversations on this program with numerous academic experts on the effect of violence in movies, news, and video games on real-world violence. We've explored the concept pretty, pretty significantly over a period of many years, and I am not aware of any connection, and no academic expert has told me about any connection. I think it works the opposite way. I believe that it is, it is very clear that when Drudge Report, for example, runs a headline saying, Navy shooter obsessed with violent video games. I guess it was, uh, I forget what game it was that he was obsessed with, Lewis, but one of the, the shooters that's around right now. To me, I, that never suggests to me that the video games caused the violence. What it suggests to me is that individuals who are already predisposed to violence or who are otherwise disturbed in any number of ways are drawn to play the games. They are drawn to play the games, but that the violent tendencies would be there regardless. I think it is a distraction to start focusing on Grand Theft Auto. I really do. Right. Maybe Ed Schultz would argue that the, the two feed on each other and that uh, and that the video game might plant ideas in the the head of a person who's predisposed to violence but overall i mean clearly the research indicates that video games do not make people more violent and i think ed schultz is, is obnoxious to begin with and this just kind of pushes him over the edge for me not to mention that but if we really want to take a step back and think about it the argument is there are guns in grand theft auto and therefore that would encourage gun violence there are uh, swords and knives, right? Swords, axes, and knives in games like World of Warcraft, Guild Wars, etc. And by the way, swords, axes, and knives are infinitely easier to obtain than are firearms. Yet you never hear knife attacks or sword attacks tracked back to World of Warcraft or Guild Wars. So I think that I'm committed to exploring the sources of gun violence, 
You know this is important, Lewis. We talk about it all the time. But I really think that focusing on video games as a cause of violence is just not a productive uh, use of time. Right. It's like making excuses. Once again, we really have to go back to, to mental health. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Coleman Lowndes. Several media figures have reacted to the mass shooting in Washington, D.C.'s Navy Yard by downplaying the role access to firearms had in the killings and instead blaming video games and their purported effect on mental health. Here's televangelist Pat Robertson on the 700 Club. The guns are not the problem. The problem is, is mental illness. This man was mentally ill and uh, he also uh, was uh, addicted to these violent video games. And here's Fox and Friends co-host Elizabeth Hasselbeck. And are more people susceptible? You know, are, are more people maybe more susceptible than others to playing video games? Is there a link between a certain age group or demo um, in, this, in 20 to 34-year-old men, perhaps, that are playing these video games and then their, their violent actions? Fox and Friends also reused a graphic with pictures of seven mass shooters and noted that all were big gamers. But multiple academic studies have either debunked or failed to find a plausible link between playing violent video games and real-world gun violence. So the latest uh, apparently culpable actor in the Navy Yard shooting it's not Aaron Alexis, it's not the shotgun that he used and the pistol that he used to carry out those killings. Uh, it turns out it's video games. Uh, the press talked to um, someone who was a friend of his, his name is Michael uh, Richardardo, and Michael says, quote, he was staying up all night playing video games. He said that he was sometimes even late to work because of how much he played video games and some of them were violent. Well, there we have it, folks. Uh, guilty. Obviously, the video games drove him to it, of course, the fact that uh, many of the other mass shooters did not play any video games, and the fact that tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of Americans play video games and they don't shoot anybody, that, of course, none of that is relevant. Okay, but my favorite part of this story is the ABC News uh, report here, where they say, with the release of Grand Theft Auto V, one of the video game industry's most anticipated and most mature-themed titles, Falling so close to yet another shooting rampage, it is sure to fuel the debate about video game violence and its real-world counterpart. Now, if it were to fuel that debate, it would be a debate among idiots. Why is that? Grand Theft Auto Part 5, if you want to refer to it that way, has not come out or had not come out when the shooting happened. So the shooting happened on Monday, Grand Theft Auto came out on Tuesday. It would be hard to affect him because Aaron Alexis was already dead. Now, if you're saying, well, it came out so close to the shooting, well, if he really wanted to play it, he wouldn't have gone in there and gotten himself killed. My guess is Grand Theft Auto V certainly had nothing to do with it. But the media's got a grasp for things. You know, uh, oh my God, who was it? What was it? What was the motivation? I don't know. Uh, it must have video games. What's coming out? Grand Theft Auto. Well, that's it. Well, we got it. No, you have the opposite of getting it, okay? You don't get it at all. I love that these guys look for like, huh, what could it have been? Is it the video game? Uh, how about the thing that fired the bullets and entered the people and killed them? 
No, 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 it was probably some the Mario Brothers or something. It was probably Tetris. Yeah, you got to figure it out. Now, who would be stupid enough to believe something like this? Well, obviously, we go to Louis Gohmert. Uh, Louis Gohmert is the dumbest uh, politician in America, and I'm being kind, probably far uh, bigger title he deserves. So what's he going to do this time? Well, he says, first of all, let's be clear, it definitely wasn't the guns. Blaming this on guns is like saying that the, the big problem with obesity is we've got too many spoons. It's not the spoons. It's not the guns. It's the people who have them. Oh, that's so clever, right? See, it's not the nuclear weapons that kill people. Uh, it's the people who have nuclear weapons. So it's okay, actually, because we should just give everybody nuclear weapons. It's like, I mean, it's not the spoons, is it? So let's just go ahead and give the Iranians nuclear weapons. It's okay, besides which, if everybody has a nuclear weapon, obviously it wouldn't be a problem. And the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a nuclear weapon is a good guy with a nuclear weapon. It's just a tool. Right, except it's a tool that kills a lot of people as do guns in this country, over and over again. According to the definition where there is four people being wounded is equal a mass shooting, then in this year alone, we're not even close to the end of the year, we've already had 250 mass shootings. They're not spoons, they're weapons. If you don't eat soup with them, what you do is you shoot them, they fire bullets, and they kill people. They're a weapon designed to kill. Oh, it's not just like spoons, it's smooth. Oh, so stupid. But of course, he has an intent here. The intent is look away from the guns. So what's he going to throw up there as a possible alternative? Well, of course, there's mental health and then video games. Watch. Mental health uh, seems to be playing into um, uh, Newtown shooting, Colorado shooting. Uh, it, it obviously has an effect, uh, and, and it's interesting that people seem to have a common tie with extremely violent video games. And so if they have mental health issues and play extremely violent video games, they seem to have trouble distinguishing between what is reality and what isn't. You see, if you have a video game console and you go choo-choo-choo-choo, it doesn't actually shoot anybody. When you have a gun and you fire it, it shoots people and kills them. He didn't go in there with an Xbox and try to shoot people that way. He went in there with a shotgun. One more from Gomer. It is our own system that's breaking down. How in the world you give a legitimate ID to a guy who got a, a ousted out of the, the Navy for uh, gunfire incidents? I mean, good night. How do you give this guy access to anything? Well, he says the system's breaking down. Well, that's very interesting. Gee, I wonder why it's breaking down. Well, he got it because we don't do those mental health checks. We don't do any background checks. So that might be because of you. You're the one breaking down the system. If we actually did san sane background checks for different things, it's possible that we would prevent some crazy people from buying a weapon. But of course, that's not what the NRA and their minions in the Republican Party want. They want the gun manufacturers to sell as many weapons as possible, and they don't give a damn who gets killed by it. And any time that there is a mass shooting, when people actually pay attention, they turn around and go, must have been the video games.
One question I get a lot from listeners has to do with how long it takes me to make an episode of Best of the Left. Well, between all the research, show prep, and actual editing, it comes out to around 20 hours of work for each one of the 10 episodes I make every month. Obviously, this is only possible because of the listeners who chip in a few bucks each month to make it happen. So if you appreciate this show and think it provides a valuable service, then please think about becoming a member at the $10 a month level. That's only a buck a show after all. I've always believed in giving away the show for free so everyone can hear it without restrictions. So if you can afford 10 bucks a month, that covers yourself and several others who maybe can't afford to pay but who need to hear the show as much as anyone. As thanks, members also receive bonus content including extra voicemails, behind-the-scenes stories, and more of my personal musings. Thanks so much for your support. On the morning of September 6, 1949, a 28-year-old local man in Camden, New Jersey, left his house and started walking up and down River Road in his neighborhood, the neighborhood where he lived, and he started shooting people. Uh, he was armed with a Luger pistol that he had bought as a war souvenir. He shot the man who ran the pharmacy. He shot a little kid. He shot the newlywed wife of the local tailor. He killed 13 people that day, September 6, 1949. At the time, the Camden Walk of Death, as they called it, that was considered the worst mass murder in our nation's history. One survivor, speaking 50 years later, told a reporter, My memories do not dim. Do you know how many times in 50 years I have relived that story? That killer from Camden, New Jersey, was considered unfit for trial. was considered to be too insane. So he was never tried for that mass killing in New Jersey. He spent the rest of his life confined to a secure mental facility, and ultimately he died just a few years ago. That massacre in Camden, New Jersey, is the earliest one on a list of the dozen deadliest mass shootings in the United States. These are only the worst, with the highest death tolls. Mass killings in which at least 12 people died, not including the shooter, going back to Camden, New Jersey, in 1949. American mass shootings are a frequent enough occurrence now that they've almost become a regular part of our news expectations. We think of these stories almost as the kinds of stories that we know even before we read the terrible details. Oh, I know how this is going to go. But they have not always been as frequent as they are now. After that 1949 shooting, the next big one doesn't happen until nearly two decades later, in 1966, when a gunman climbed the bell tower at the University of Texas and shot 16 people to death before he was killed by police. It was nearly two decades after that that we got the next entry on the list, when a shooter killed 21 people at a McDonald's in San Isidro, California. That was 1984. Right after that, in 1986, our nation suffered the worst in a string of post office massacres. 14 dead, plus the gunman in Edmond, Oklahoma. But look at the overall frequency across time uh, as we chart it here. Again, these are only the worst incidents where the gunman killed at least 12 other people. After that post office shooting, we get the Luby's Cafeteria Massacre in Killeen, Texas, the gunman killing 23 people and then himself that day in 1991. Here we have the massacre at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, where two students killed 12 classmates and a teacher and then killed themselves. That brings us to 1999. So you can see we're now halfway through the list of the dozen worst mass shootings in U.S. history, and it has taken us 50 years to get there. These are terrible events with at least a dozen people killed. It takes us a half century to do half of them. 
The other half begins here in 2007 at Virginia Tech when a single student armed with a pair of semi-automatic weapons killed 32 people before taking his own life. That was April 2007. In 2009, we had a pair of mass shootings. In Binghamton, New York, it was a former student at an immigration center who killed 13 people and then himself. Just seven months later, it was Army, an Army psychiatrist who opened fire at the Soldier Readiness Processing Center at Fort Hood in Texas, killing 13 people in what he later described as an act of war. Last month, he was convicted and sentenced to death for those murders in 2009. But these things are coming faster now. In 2012, the nation again suffered not one, but two of the worst massacres in our history. July 2012, a deranged young man goes into a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado, and starts shooting using multiple guns and an ammunition magazine that held 100 bullets. He killed 12 people that night. He wounded 70 others. Five months later, on December 14th, a single gunman walks into Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut with multiple weapons and high-capacity magazines. He kills 20 kids and six adults at the school, plus his mom at home before the attack, and then he kills himself. And then today, the newest entry on that awful list of worst mass killings in America, as 12 people are shot and killed, not including the alleged gunman who was found dead at the scene. 12 people today killed at the U.S. Navy Yard in D.C. All of these are terrible stories, taken individually. Unimaginably terrible. But put them together. And remember, the first half of that list, that awful list, is scattered across half a century like this. Each of these killings cost the nation simply untellable grief. The kind of pain where witnesses are still not recovered 50 years later and they were the ones who survived. But look at this. The first half of this awful list happens across half a century. The rest of it, the other half dozen of the worst killings in our history, takes only a half dozen years from 2007 until now. Until today, from Virginia Tech to the Navy Yard, the bloodshed of half a century compressed into this blink of time. It took us 50 years to get from here to here. It took us only six years to get from here to here. A professor at the University of Maryland first charted this for us after the shooting at Newtown. At the time, Professor Charles Catania said, if you look at the way it added up, he said this was, quote, probably the scariest data he had ever plotted. And that was before today, when 12 more people were killed. We know very little so far about what happened today in that Navy Yard. Taken as a whole, the list of worst mass shootings in America has almost as many so-called explanations as it has entries. In many cases, the shooter was mentally ill. In at least one, the shooter seems to be at least partly politically slash religiously motivated. Sometimes the shooter's friends and relatives saw warning signs. Sometimes there seems to have been no warning or almost no warning. We have long been mystified when it comes to understanding the motivations of the super violent. And we seem just as mystified now about how to stop them from killing in the first place. Whether or not you like the idea of additional gun regulations, if you thought that Newtown or Aurora or Columbine before that was going to lead to meaningful national policy changes to at least try to stop these incidents, if you thought, for example, that they might affect the regulation of firearms and ammunition, maybe even just as they relate to mental illness, you are still waiting for those changes. But if you have been thinking that we live in an era that is more marked by this kind of mass bloodshed than any era before now, then I am sad to tell you that you are right. It did not used to be this way. But more and more, over time, 
This is part of how we live now. One of the hospitals here in town, I, I'm not sure if it was George Washington Med, MedStar? I don't know. It's, it's one of MedStar Washington. Anyhow, it's one of our one of our Washington, D.C. hospitals. I've been at George Washington. I know that's one of our major metropolitan hospitals, but apparently there's another one. MedStar Washington Hospital, okay. Has... Um, Historically treated, I mean, there's, there's, there are places in Washington, D.C. where you can drive through open-air drug markets. There are neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. where you can drive through and have a fairly high level of confidence that um, if you're the wrong person at the wrong time, your, your car is going to get shot at or somebody's going to try and hijack it or whatever. I mean, there's some, some really, really dicey parts of town here. Not a lot of them, but there are here. And there were a lot more of them uh, several decades ago. And what has and it's and in some ways in some places it's getting worse as as you know thirty years of Reaganomics sinks in and the poor get even poorer. But the net net of this is that we have a hospital in this town and a doctor who has become one of the world authorities on how to deal with gunshot wounds. So much so that when doctors who join the military or who joined the military and got their MDs in the military, when they're about to deploy to war zones, when they're heading off to Iraq or Afghanistan, they do their rotate they do a couple of rotations in this hospital to learn from from the from uh, is it Janice Orlov? Or Orlowski. From from Dr. Janice Orlowski, the the you know her and others there, the head of the the head trauma surgeon there, how to deal with gunshot wounds. I mean, we're so expert at it here, right? I'm sure there's a similar hospital in Chicago that probably soldiers deploying out of that area go to and, you know, others around the country. But um, very interesting, the head of this hospital, or at least the head of the, you know, we deal with gunshots in the ER department of this hospital, gave an interview yesterday with the press, and this is what she had to say about the state of America. There's something um, evil uh, in our society that we as Americans have to work um, to try and eradicate. I I have to say, I, I may see this every day. I may, you know, be the chief medical officer of a very large trauma center, but there's something wrong here when we... Um, have these multiple um, shootings, these multiple injuries, there's something wrong. And the only thing that I can say is we have to work together to get rid of it. Um, I'd like you to put my trauma center out of business. Um, I really would. I would like to not be an expert on gunshots. 
she would much rather go back to being, you know, a family doctor or delivering babies or whatever. I mean, you know, and, and I think that that's probably true of every doctor who deals with gunshot trauma. And, but we have this national insanity, just a national insanity. And it's a, it's a really, really genuinely tragic thing. So here comes this largest study ever. Professor Michael Siegel at Boston University and two co-authors. This is published in the American Journal of Public Health. It wasn't, this was not published in the, you know, Socialist Worker Party's weekly newspaper, right? The American Journal of Public Health. And Stiegel and his colleagues compiled data on firearm homicides, Zach Bocamp writes over at thinkprogress.org, from all 50 states over a 30-year period, right, from the first year of the Reagan administration until 2010. So basically, this is the legacy of Reaganomics. By the way, if you look back before Reaganomics, not so many gunshots, uh, not so many mass murders. I'm not sure if this has to do with Reaganomics this has to do with the exploding proliferation of guns. This has to do with the exploding proliferation of SSRI drugs or the toxic soup of all three. Or perhaps even a fourth variable. And I'd like you to consider this. That as trust in society erodes, paranoia and violence rise. Just consider that for a moment. I mean, I one of the things that really amazed me when I was reading um, The Spirit Level, which is the second in a series of two books. The first was called Why Inequality Matters by uh, Pickens and Wilkinson out of the U.K. Kate Pickens and Richard Wilkinson, as I recall. Both, you know, PhD scientists and all this kind of thing, and they, they looked at inequality in societies, and they compared nations to nations, and they compared states within the United States to states within the United States. And what they found was that the greater the level of inequality, the inequality being the, the, the spread between the rich and the poor, high levels of inequality, lots of rich, lots of poor, not many people in the middle, low levels of inequality would be lots of people in the middle class and not so many poor and not so many rich, right? that the worse the inequality, the higher the levels of inequality, not just the, the, the predictable stuff, right, the predictable stuff, like, you know, more poverty and, and more health problems and dental problems and psychiatric problems and broken marriages and child abuse. And, but there was actually less civic participation, less trust in other people, Genuine trust. People actually don't trust each other in more unequal societies. Pretty much regardless of social station. Obviously less happiness in the society. Even among the rich. And this thing about trust, this and less of a feeling of social engagement, less of a feeling of participation, higher levels of teenage pregnancy, higher levels of STDs, um, I mean, you know, all those social ills, they all track back to inequality. And when I read that, it was like, wow. So I think that's probably part of the soup, too. Ready availability of guns, high levels of inequality. You add all this stuff together, and what have you got? You've got America. Post-Reagan. 
And if you look at the period from 1981 to 2010, the longest stretch of time ever studied, what they found what they called fixed re effect regression. In other words, more guns, more murders. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. So there was some horrific gun violence in Chicago um, last week. 13 people were shot and wounded, including a three-year-old boy. And it's really remarkable, uh, and I, I want to sort of talk about this for our listeners who don't live in the United States, because I'm not sure everybody's aware of this. Right. But when there's a mass shooting, as there so often is in the United States, it really depends on where it happens and who it happens to. So if it happens, say, at the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C., it's a big deal because... The Navy. The Navy, Washington, D.C., powerful people, white people. Um, so <laughs> it, it really depends on who the victims are. Not to say, you know, all the victims were powerful white people, but it happened in a place where the media pays a lot of attention to it, anyway. If you are within two blocks of where a senator buys his cigars, uh, it's going to get covered. Right. A bunch of little white kids get shot. It's obviously horrific because it's children who are killed. Um, but also it happened in a community where we don't expect gun violence. Um, if it happens in Chicago, there's not a lot of media attention, no, generally it's, speaking. It's sort of a, like they have it coming. Like that's what you get for being black in Chicago. Yeah. And if so, I'm going to link to the CBS article on it. And I'm not encouraging you to read the comment section because it's horrific. But I'll recap it for you. Um, basically, what the sentiment appears to be are people saying these are gangbangers and basically they should be executed. And also, yeah, the victims are what do you expect? You know, you live in Southside Chicago. That is where a lot of violence is happening. This is just what we expect from Chicago. And it's really remarkable because Chicago, especially Southside Chicago, is a fucking war zone. Yeah. Like, you know how the president declares areas natural disaster areas after, like, tornadoes hit or something? Yeah. I think Chicago should be declared a disaster area for the gun violence. It's really bad. And we're not going to do anything about it, especially when uh, people are talking like this. You guys, Desi is on my lap. I'm taking a picture. I've taken a picture. Okay. Um, uh, but not only that, like, <clears throat> what you just said, Jamie, that seems to be the, the general attitude on the right and the left right now, and it's really scary, where people are like, nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how many people are killed in a mass shooting. It doesn't matter how many times, because Chicago, this has been going on for years and years. Terrible, terrible gun violence. Yeah. Um, it's never going to be enough bodies to make 
Washington on its own do anything because the NRA is still so powerful. Uh, and it's so sad, too, because – and again, this only happens in poor communities or communities of color where it's like – that acceptance Ali was talking about, it's not just with gun violence, but it's like people almost like respond with such disdain where you're like, you talk about a shooting and they go, yeah, it's outside Chicago. Or you talk about like Detroit, um, you know, being bankrupt. And it's like, yeah, it's Detroit. Or yeah, that's fucking, uh, you know, whatever. And it's just like, no one's going to, like, why aren't we talking about doing something? Why are we just like slowly crossing off cities on our to-do list instead of fucking saving them. Yeah, and that's not to... I don't want to give the false impression that there's no organizing and there's no legislation being proposed and, like, voted on, like, as we speak, because there are, you know, Democratic officials who are trying to get legislation passed. There are amazing grassroots activists who are really trying to keep the pressure. I'm talking more about, like, the general public attitude. Like, after Newtown, there was... There really was a sense like, okay, we really have to do something. Like, now is the time to get really serious, yeah. you know? Um, but anytime, like, after the, even the, the Navy Yard shooting in DC, didn't really hear a lot of people saying, when are we going to do something about this? No. Chicago, there's never that kind of talk. No. Outside of the communities who are immediately affected by it, like, the people in Southside Chicago are like, we have to do something now, I mean, you know? Sc- it's Jesus Christ. I'm like, w- besides the school shootings, it's like you had a fucking congresswoman who was shot in the fucking face. You know what I mean? Like, what else do you need? Uh, I feel like when there are school shootings, people at least, like, feign. Uh, there's at least posturing. In Washington, you know, because, like, I mean, Newtown was just, like, so fucking horrific. Um, But it's like, yeah, man, uh, turns out that when guns are used for guns' stated purpose, people fucking die. Today's activism segment comes to you as always in partnership with the Unfuck It Up Project, where creator Katie Goodman and activist director Katie Flabusik highlight individuals and organizations working to change the world. Today's campaign, Combating Gun Violence with Common Sense. America is on track for a record number of mass shootings this year. The Washington Navy Yard was the fifth since Newtown, depending on how you define mass shooting, and that doesn't account for the almost daily gun deaths in cities like Chicago, Detroit, and Philadelphia. Here on Best of the Left, my commentary has been discussing gun regulation and reform in the context of its underlying issues. One of the most often cited and important is the state of care for citizens living with mental health issues, both temporary and lifelong. Extending treatment and providing support for those with conditions as short-term as grief after a loss and as permanent as serious addictions must be a priority if we are ever to see a reduction in violence throughout our culture. Ensuring access to anyone without concern for cost or stigma is the goal of the National Council for Behavioral Health. TheNationalCouncil.org has resources for finding providers and asking tough questions, a bill tracker for nationwide and state legislation, assistance navigating health care reform, and spotlighted issues with actions and or petitions. With efforts from many Mental health community outreach groups as a foundation, the work to enact common sense gun regulation reform could successfully reduce the violence splashed across our nightly newscasts. 
National Gun Victims Action Council has mobilized gun victims, those who've lost loved ones, survivors, and supporters in order to combat the NRA propaganda and the legislators the gun industry has purchased while championing reforms such as background checks and limiting magazine size. Visit gunvictimsaction.org for links to actions like their recent successful campaign demanding Starbucks stand against open carry in their stores, to sign the pledge to withhold financial support from corporations and groups in bed with the gun manufacturers, and to read their blog's NRA Puppet of the Week posts. Gun violence is not a simple issue with one solution. We must be willing to continue discussing its underlying causes and then demand that our nation's legislators and talking heads acknowledge and articulate this complexity. Regulating guns directly will undoubtedly have a degree of success in limiting those who fall through society's cracks from obtaining and using guns for intentionally destructive purposes. But to make real and lasting progress, we need to do the work to close those cracks in society for the health and safety of everyone. Links for today's campaign will be in the show notes and all all the usual places. Visit the Best of the Left Facebook page for updates on this and other activism opportunities. Also, remember that we encourage you to use your phone or other mobile device to record audio of your experience at any political event you attend to send in to be used on the show. Help unfuck it up. And then say, are you really so fucking busy? You can't take one fucking man's help unfuck it up. Because I'm willing to pick one thing to help unfuck it up. Won't you join me? Uh, Cliff Schechter. Um, let's, let's talk about uh, what, uh, how we started off this week. I mean, it, it, it is... I, I honestly, I, I cannot count the times that, and, and just to set the, the groundwork here, uh, longtime listeners will know that, uh, that Cliff has been highly involved over the years in, um, in some type of gun safety reform in this country uh, and uh, worked for, uh, at various times, for Mayors Against Guns and, and, uh, and other advocacy groups. Um, I don't think you're doing so at the moment, but nevertheless, um, uh, this is a topic that I know is uh, you're extremely passionate about. And I can't count the number of times on my hand how we have had this uh, weekly recap where we've had to talk about another gun massacre. Yeah. You know, in fact, as I remember, we were actually on the radio while Newtown was happening. And we didn't know exactly how bad it was going to be at that moment. We just knew that there had been a Connecticut school shooting. Um, and we're still doing, but yes, uh, you know, it's like, it just, the whole thing gets, it, it's so morbidly, uh, tiring, so disgustingly sort of, you know, it's banal almost, um, at, at this point. Oh, another gun shooting, you know, any other civilized country would be freaked out of their minds by this and, and immediately say, what do we need to do to address this problem? That's what happened in Australia in 1996. Uh, the the infamous Port Arthur massacre. They finally had they'd been having one of these things a year. We're having like one of them a month. Um, and Australia finally just said, you know what, enough. And the conservative government there at the time uh, went and enacted all the kinds of reforms that we need to enact, from banning assault weapons to registration of firearms and a variety of things. And guess what? Magically, I know you know. Uh, the NRA would, w can't accept this because more guns 
obviously equals more safety for all of us. But there has not been in the, they, the 17 previous years, they had like one a year in Australia, and they have now had none since 1996. I mean, um, I, this is what countries do that are civilized. This is how they look at public health problems, whether it's smoking, gun violence, you know, uh, drunk driving. This is how you handle it. You look at the science, you look at the research, you address the problem. It, it really is stunning. And I think to a certain extent, you know, the 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 response to this was, I mean, like you say, it's it's become banal in some respects. It, you know, it was barely, uh, there was a couple of questions thrown at a couple of senators, any chance to revive um, uh, gun control in any fashion? Nah, probably not. And then everybody just moves on. And, and you know, I mean, the, the reality is, is because we, we have a larger sort of cultural problem in this country that um, is just the out. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what it's going to take at this point. I mean, how no. many, you know, if, if, if the slaughter of dozens of children doesn't do it, um, I don't know what's going to do it until, you know, um, I, I don't know, until someone maybe, maybe it's going to take like some celebrity uh or 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 some horrible tragedy that that sort of i i don't know i really don't I, know i would say to you that the only what it's going to take at this point are a combination of things which are reforming our campaign finance system which obviously holds so much common sense legislation hostage obviously it's the nra and it really the nra is just a front group it's 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 as I always make the comparison to the big banks, to big oil, this is big guns. It's the same thing. It is people that are making millions, gazillions of dollars off of the death of members of your family and your friends. And that's just the simplest way to put it. We can, we can sugarcoat it if we'd like, but that's really what it comes down to. Uh, just as they do when they, when they destroy the Gulf of Mexico, uh, the oil companies, just as the banks, when they're fraudulently kicking you out of your home, uh, and, and this is this, you know, or, or getting, betting against the, what they're telling their customers to do and bankrupting an economy. This is the same situation. It's the 1% getting rich while people are literally dying. And they're, di they're getting rich because people are dying. It is. And there's just nothing else to it. This whole, well, we've got this history of hunting. So did Canada. So did Australia. You know, any excuse people come up with for why things are different here. I could eat, I can dispel you know dispense with within less than ten seconds. And, the only and, difference here is that money owns our politics right now. It is it is a classic case of uh, industry and corporations uh, privatizing the profit and socializing the uh, the costs. Uh, That's I mean, right. It is, it is, it is, you have to get insurance for your car. You don't for a gun. Why? Because we all the rest of us should pay the cost of of shootings. Not, not the gun companies. You can't even sue them because of the bill passed in 2004, or it's very hard to, because they, they passed almost pretty much blanket immunity for themselves. I mean, it's all, again, about uh, big business. That is what this is about in the end. And those, and, costs, and, and, and those costs, you know, obviously are not just, uh, we're not just talking about money. I mean, we're talking about uh, living in a society where this is just, this is not an issue. We're not, you know, or, or living in a society where we don't have to sort of come up with plans on how we're going to protect our children in schools and uh, diverting resources there and diverting, um, you know, sort of concern there. Um, it, it, it really is stunning. I mean, it, it, well, I mean, you know, look, a guy puts a, a small, you know, bomb in his underwear and basically almost blows his penis off on an airplane. And you can be strip searched and, and, and have images of you naked floating around the Internet for you to get on an airplane. We have people that are walking around 
literally in the case of, of uh, the gentleman, because I won't say his name, as I don't think we should do with these guys, who just killed people in the Navy Yard, you know, somebody who had shot through the floor of the apartment above him in Fort Worth, Texas, after threatening the woman who lived above him. They did nothing about it. Who in Seattle had gotten mad at somebody and shot out the tires of their car. They did nothing about it. Who had, who had called the police in Rhode Island just recently, months ago, and said he was hearing voices and there were people that followed him on his plane and now were, were listening to him through a microwave you know, in into his room, so he had to switch hotels three different times. He was, then he went to 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 get serious quote medical treatment by the VA. Um, he's somebody who was was uh, uh, discharged from the Navy because he had been showing up late, he'd been showing up drunk, he had been getting into all sorts of altercations with people, uh, and the list goes on. There's more things I, don't, I can't even remember off the top of my head. This guy got in fights, I think, in Atlanta, Georgia. He got in a fight at a club where he attacked people. Clearly, it's, it, you know, I, I, we talk about universal background checks, and obviously that's necessary because what you can get you know, on the black market, what you can get right now actually very easily at a gun show or in a parking lot or online is a huge problem. But in this case, this guy was able to legally pass background checks. He actually went to licensed dealers because none of that, everything I just told you was not enough to have this man's gun rights taken away or at least even reviewed. Right. And, Nothing, I mean, that's and, and, and that's a function of the, of the depth of the, the background checks. We have, we have expanding them in terms of uh, point of purchase, and we also have um, coordinating them and making them more, uh, deeper in terms of these. And, you know, we're not talking about go in and uh, find out what this guy's, uh, you know, sort of what he's buying and, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what, what movie, what the magazine subscriptions he has. We're talking about if you go to the VA looking for uh, help for uh, mental illness, you should end up, it should be coordinated in such a way that you're on a background check saying, you know what, we're going to have to, this guy's going to have to wait six weeks. We're going to have to right. review the application. We're going right. to have to, I mean, it, there's going to have to be some uh, further it, investigation. Into it needs to not just be mental health anymore. Josh Horowitz, who's the head of the Coalition to Stop Gun Violence, wrote a great piece for the Huffington Post where he said that, you know, that we need to reframe this. And it's not just about mental health. It's about your dangerousness. And essentially, whether that's the fact that you have, because now it's only involuntary commitment. Well, if you voluntarily go and see someone at the VA and they, they declare that you're da a danger, I'm sorry, that has to be a point in time where the gun is taken away. If you shoot someone's tires out, I'm, you know, I don't care if that means you're mentally, uh, you, we decide that you're, you're, you are mentally fit or mentally unfit, couldn't care less. You've proven yourself once you shoot somebody's tires out because you're mad because they parked in front of your house that you are not fit to have a gun. And it really has to be an overall profile of are you dangerous to society? And if you do something that means you are a danger, and these, it's pretty simple to declare what these things are because we're talking about them now. Discharge a firearm in a way that's dangerous to others without provocation. You know, uh, I mean, uh, being, you know, having to, to, to get serious mental treatment, telling people that you hear voices and are being followed. These are all things, you know, that should prevent it. And again, if we were to go through the, the list, of, of the cases that have happened, you know, in recent years, whether it's 
the, the shooting at Virginia Tech by someone who had actually been declared mentally unfit by a court, but Virginia just didn't bother to share the record. Or Jared Loeffner, who the, the Army had declared to be uh, a habitual drug user, but didn't share the record. Or in the case of uh, James Holmes, oh, I, should, I, can't, I shouldn't have said these names. I can't stand myself for doing that. Okay. Uh, in the case of, of Aurora, where you've got the shooter there, his own university had had the, 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 uh, those that, the, the doctors that treated him had to warn the university he was potentially a danger, but they didn't put his name into the system. These things don't make sense. All right, these, these, these are things where you're not going to prevent every case. And, of course, in the case in, uh, in Newtown, Connecticut, there never should have been an assault weapon there. Right? I mean, he hadn't been mentally committed yet. I don't know if his mom had even, you know, I know she'd spoken to people about him. But in that case, maybe a shooting would have happened no matter what we did. There are going to be those cases. They happen in other countries, too, that try to stop these things. But, you, but he wouldn't have had the kind of weapon he had that could have done that kind of damage. And... You know, so mo- really, in almost all these cases, there are red flags that could have stopped or at least made these made these things less violent. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, and listen, we just don't bother. We right. don't care. I mean, the point is, is that you know, it's a reasonable goal to say we're not going to be able to. The goal is not necessarily, uh, or a reasonable goal to achieve is not necessarily to end all gun violence, but it is a reasonable goal to say let's not have mass killings every three or four weeks in this country. I mean, that, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, so uh, I understand that certain um, um, uh, proposals will not end all uh, of these incidents. But, you know, we know that um, this guy from the Navy uh, yard um, was not able to get an AR-15 because he was out of state in Virginia. So he ended up just getting a shotgun. Who knows? How much more? Uh, how many more dead people there would be had he been able to get that uh, assault weapon? That's right. And, and, and so, no, we'll never end all of them, Sam. I mean, anybody—that's usually a red herring thrown out. Well, you can't stop it all, so let's not try to stop anything. I mean, if we applied that standard to all the rest of our laws and regulations, it would, people would just look at you like you're a complete idiot. As right. people should look at these gun, the gun fondlers, the same way. All right. Speak- obvi- it makes, so I mean. I'll just say quickly, Japan, which probably has the, just about the strictest gun control in the world, still has 10 or 12 shootings every year. It's going to have, I mean, there will right. be a few cases. You can't stop everything. Right. And we've got twice their population, uh, you know, or something of that sort. So, you know what? If we got to the point where we had even, let's say, 50 shootings a year in this country, wouldn't that just be amazing? Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, Washington. Um, calling in response to, first of all, your comments on uh, the drug war and gun control, and I agree with Wade that mostly you're on point there, that the, the problem is people that have a problem rather than the fact that there are guns available. Uh, the second thing I would like to, to respond to is, I believe it was Natasha from L.A. that was talking about why uh, why are we assuming that the end of the drug war is a good thing. And, of course, there's the argument that the drug war has failed on even its stated goals. By any objective measure, it's been a waste of time and money and an erosion of our rights in the process. Uh, SWAT teams knocking down doors, violations of our rights 
you know, rights of search and seizure and everything else have not yielded any benefit in a reduction in the use of illegal drugs. But the second thing I would like to say is that there's, I would like somebody to point to me in the Constitution where it says that the government has the right to determine what states of consciousness are legitimate for a person in the United States. Where the government has the right to say, Jay, if you want to use cannabis, you cannot because your brain is not your own. You cannot experience LSD or psilocybin. They, they are, it is an illegitimate state of the chemistry of your brain for you as a consenting adult to take a pill or a little tab of paper or whatever and feel that way. It's one thing to treat mental illness from a mental illness standpoint, an addiction that is debilitating. It's another thing to treat the criminal behavior that may stem from it. But to, but to say that, you know, you wanting to ingest this substance that changes your state of consciousness, that you don't even have sovereignty over your own body, is, I think, one of the, I think, anti-progressive. It's one of the, it's one of the most un-American things I can think of to base a policy on. Thank you. Hi, this is Elaine in New York. I'm calling and talking in favor of legalizing all drugs. I'm a retired teacher in my 60s. I don't need, use, want any of the most common drugs such as caffeine, nicotine, or alcohol. I have enough sense to know that those drugs will never be illegal. But in my childhood, I learned to hate alcohol. The ferocity of my hatred for alcohol isn't going to make anyone stop drinking, nor does it give me the right or ability to say that anyone must. People wanting to keep what I would call street drugs illegal use the facetious argument that making these drugs legal makes them available. From the number of drug arrests, it sounds like drugs are pretty available now. Our society marinates in drugs. Have a sip of wine, calm down. Don't bother me until I have my coffee. If I think of caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, marijuana, the only one that has medical or helpful purpose is marijuana. I have watched friends wither and die in pain and near starvation at the end of the cancer battle. Would marijuana have given them the ability to eat and drink longer, to manage pain, and keep able to converse with family? Certainly morphine doesn't. There's research that shows marijuana prevents some cancers and does help with pain management and mobility for people with MS and other autoimmune diseases. These patients have few other medication options, and what options exist cost thousands of dollars a month. They deserve the right to effective, simple medication. A plethora of drugs are going to be bought, sold, smoked, sniffed, injected, whatever. Get street drugs out of the gutters. Snitch dispensaries. Make dispensaries businesses with taxable products staffed by workers with taxable income. And warehousing our people, our people, in for-profit prisons for drug offenses. And in response to Natasha in L.A., Jay has never suggested legalizing, quote, all things for which black people might be arrested. So don't brush them by his words. Prohibition never works, and countries that have legalized all drugs have found a decline in drug use, not an increase. So, Jay, thank you for your work, and peace to you, child. Bye. Hey, this is Mike from Washington. Um, never called before. Been listening to you now for about a year and a half. Um, 
you've actually, and uh, this, this might be a little bit of hyperbole, but you've kind of changed my life a little bit as far as just the way I think about things. Um, you made a couple statements a couple of shows back about gun control and the idea that it wasn't about the left or the right um, solutions, but it was about, I guess, making a more uh, just society, uh, you know, taking care of people, basically removing the need for people to be acting out violently. And I just got to tell you, that was that was beautiful. Um, I've been thinking that way for quite a while. And, and, you know, I love what you said, but I just got to tell you, it just leaves me feeling really frustrated. I, I'm, I get frustrated when I listen to your show because I just don't know what to do. Um, I, I really do believe that we need a society that is more just and people's needs are met and you know, I, I think that in and of itself will is is really the you know the answer when it comes to gun control issues and and the war on drugs and and so many other things. But I don't know how to get there. You know, I, I know the I know the right. Uh, they don't have the answers. Their answer is cut food stamps and uh, don't allow gay people to get married. And you know, basically they're just making things worse. And and the left, I don't know, wrings their hands and gets pissed off about what the right is doing and and i don't know that they have the answers either and i don't know what the answers are i i'll tell you one thing though and i think if i had to if i had to pick one thing um you've talked about this before i think it's money in politics i think it's money and, and power i think it's money i really do i think the fact that the corporations have the money therefore they have the power and they don't want what the rest of us want they want what makes them more money they want what what they want what brings them more profits and that is going to be at the expense of people like you and me. It's going to be at the expense of people. It's not going to include help for the mentally ill. It's not going to include help for the poor. It's not going to be about what any of us need or want. It's going to be about what makes them money. And they have the money, so therefore they have the power. And I don't know what to do about that. So all that to say, I love your show. And um, it does leave me frustrated. Um, I love your call to action stuff. I... I'm still looking for some way for me to uh, be able to, I guess, be an activist in a way that is going to actually make some difference. Um, but hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or to relate your firsthand experience from a political event you've attended to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So the last time you heard from me, I was just heading out to do the climate ride. I, I went up to New York and, and rode my bike back to D.C. If you want all the gory details on that, I, I was able to successfully put out daily dispatches into the members-only bonus feed. So if you are not a member, you can sign up, and all of those are there. You can get the, the day-by-day details. It's a very you know, exciting ride. Lots of interesting stuff happened. And if you already are a member... Just go get the, the bonus content. If you're not sure how to do that, send me an email, j at bestofleft.com, and I will get you all set up with that extra content. And and so basically what happened was the the ride finished up on Wednesday. I you know, that was a 70-mile day coming into DC, finishing up at the Capitol, had, you know, a little bit of time to relax is uh relax is a strong word for how i got to spend the next 36 hours or so i sort of had some downtime on thursday but it was still a busy day and now on friday i'm doing this show and i'm trying to get it done in time for uh for, for me to hop on another train 
and head up to Philadelphia 6 p.m. tonight so uh, so that I can attend another uh, fundraiser, a, a 5K fundraiser for uh, the Desmoid Tumor Research Foundation. And so that's an, another whole weekend spent in hotels and everything like that. So I'm frankly, I'm a little wiped and I expect to continue to be, uh, to be sort of exhausted for the next several days. So please keep the voicemails coming in. Uh, you guys are sounding way more coherent than I feel like I'm capable of being right now. Uh, the number again, 202-999-3991. I really appreciate all the messages on either the drug war or gun control or anything along those lines. So please keep those coming in, and that's going to be it for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening, especially thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That's absolutely how the program survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every Every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame how we get so trained. We can see past all the sad stories and wonder why we're missing. We can see past all the sad stories and forget how to listen. See past all the sad stories and wonder what we're doing. Can't see past all the sad stories and forget who it is we're